0: Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Chris with us here today, in whose passion as a husband, father, and co-founder of A Dad's Presence, an organization dedicated to supporting and empowering men on the journey of fatherhood. While on his own journey to become a dad, Chris was in awe of the amount of support and education for new mothers, but recognized a big gap when it came to support communities, education and real-life tools for new fathers. This led to the creation of a dad's presence and the the essential wisdom for dad's course. Chris and his co-founder, Jason, have been inspired to educate men across the globe as to the critical role a present loving father has on their children's lives. Their courses explore a range of topics, including a dad's influence on epigenetics, the first seven years of childhood development, how beliefs are formed, and ways to create balance and harmony within the family unit. Whether you're a first-time dad or the father of three, or our goal is to help you uncover your dad superpower. Chris, welcome, and thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Jesse. I really appreciate the invite.
0: Absolutely, man. It's, it's, it's really incredible, and I appreciate so much having someone that is willing to tackle the male perspective and and parenting because i feel like you know it's interesting like you often hear the it's a man's world which in very many ways it is that's not to say it's not and i think that when it comes to many of these more gosh i don't know what the language would be intimate and some of like the really the more precious parts of society and nurturing and raising the next generation I think men often are shoved aside and there's really not a lot out there for guys to turn to or to look to. So I appreciate you being a leader in that and bringing this important work out to other men around the world.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Jesse. It, uh, it was something that sort of chose me, to be honest. I, as I became a father myself and going through that path, Uh, Had some amazing experiences with a great, uh, uh, we had a a birthing doula and a pre-birthing class. And through that, I saw it was very much geared to support new mums, which it totally should be. Uh, It is such a huge uh, initiation for a woman to go from being a, you know, a single maiden as they talked about into being that queen, you know, into a mother and then a queen. So uh, I just saw a real opportunity to help other guys that were going through what I was going through. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of things. And I think, first off, I want to say that everybody's dad did the best they could with the information they knew how. And that's how we got to where we are today. What I'm very passionate about is helping men moving forward understand that we have the power to change our beliefs. So no matter what our background, we can use that as really amazing life experience to either continue with beliefs that served or change into ways that maybe can be more beneficial to the next generation. So as you mentioned, a big part of that is some belief structures around what a dad is and how a dad supports the family. And we want to take that much further than purely just being a breadwinner.
0: What beliefs do you feel? What do you, Let's look at uh, hindering first. What beliefs do you feel hinder? dads in their role in fatherhood the most
1: oh it's it's a huge question and i'll I'll give a broad overview but I, (laughs) i i you really obviously everyone had a different dad right and this is one of the things that we talk about as well is that each and every person's relationship with their father is unique and even within a family of two or three siblings each sibling actually has their own different relationship dynamic and beliefs around their father um I would say though some of the big hindering ones are you know um, yeah things like we we talk about dad's intuition everyone seems to think that you know it's all mother's intuition which is like mother's intuition comes number one as far as I'm concerned however I have learned that as dads if we're able to get heart-centered we can actually start to tap into our own relationship and a deeper knowing with our child and there's times when I say to my wife, hey, I'm really feeling that our daughter, Emma, needs this. And, you know, so it's empowering dads to listen to that inner voice. So that's one of the beliefs, I think, is that we sort of, we can pass it off to mums and say, hey, that's, you know, that's a mother's job. But sometimes, you know, we've got to, if it's a strong feeling, we need to step into that. Um, there's many other beliefs, I think, around As I said, when it comes to maybe like work dynamics, you know, that as dad's a breadwinner, that his role is purely to help the the family survive. We believe that for a family to thrive, a dad needs to be emotionally available. Um, and that's hard for a lot of guys. Like I know personally, I didn't have the tools emotionally growing up um to understand this. And it was only through some painful life experiences and a lot of self-work that I started to understand, oh like being vulnerable um being willing to ask for help i'll say that's actually one of the least there jesse that comes to me right now is mm. as men were taught you know asking for help can be a sign of weakness suck it up just figure it out whereas on the parenting path you know none of us have done this before so just be you know be really open and uh, humble to say you know what i need help guys like I have no idea what to do at 3am when my daughter is crying and I haven't slept, you know? Um, so there, there is so many beliefs. I think for every person, there's a belief that could be hindering. Um, and it's only through self-reflection that we get to actually look at those.
0: Chris, you mentioned something, and I want to make sure we just define that real quick Uh, emotional availability. And the reason I ask if, if you could define that a little bit, I actually just had a conversation not that long ago with a friend was talking about even as an adult struggling with their the relationship with their father, and how the father is expresses difficulty in, in having that emotional connection that that they want to have. What what is emotional availability? Because I think it would, and I, part of what I understand is it's almost like on one hand my friend's talking Spanish and the father is hearing Chinese when they're getting into this realm of emotions and emotional availability, I don't know if he even necessarily understands quite what that is. And I think they probably are struggling to articulate that. So maybe you could, you could just dive into a little bit of what emotional ability is, and it can look like for men. I stake take one way.
1: I think Jesse is there's a great book called the five love languages for anybody that hasn't read it. I think it's, it's a really key step in understanding how we communicate our emotions and love um, because that's what I've found with emotional availability to start with is communication is very key. And the way we give and receive love can be very, very different to our loved ones in our life. So for a starting point that any dads are out there looking for that, it's also a great book in the understanding your children more. For me, what I feel emotional availability is, it's being able to open yourself up to another person in a very vulnerable space and also have the self-worth to understand that their responses and their reactions is a reflection of them. It's actually nothing to do with yourself. Hmm. Whereas I think a lot of us take on other people's emotions and we, we feel less than based on what responses we're getting back from them. And really that's a reflection of their own, feelings of self-worth. So emotional availability, yeah, for me, it's being able to stand in that uncomfortable moment at times with love and compassion and being open without taking on somebody else's shit, if you like. Um, so that's the way I see it. And that's a, I think that's something that needs to be practiced. I, I think most people aren't taught how to do that as we live in a very conditional society. Um, I can only speak for myself, but I saw uh, achievement as love. Even though my parents didn't mean that, that's the way I saw it as a young child. So I was very driven by academic success, sporting success, which led then into my life of, you know, chasing financial success as maybe what I deemed successful. It's taken me a long time to understand that they were all very hollow meanings of success when it becomes very it became very apparent to me that my internal thoughts and beliefs actually dictated what happiness and success was to me.
0: I think it's such a beautiful definition. And I want to, before we come back to beliefs, I want to touch on the asking for help piece. I think that is, you know, and I guess maybe this goes into beliefs too so easy to say, so unbelievably hard to do, especially when so many of us have poisoned, been poisoned, maybe unintentionally, but poisoned with the notion that to be a man means you figure it out. You don't ask for help. You suck it up. You, you, you know, power through don't show emotion, right? Tough it up. How do we begin to work through that programming and unwind that kind of web that we've been woven into to be able to find the space, to be able to be, sit in that discomfort, to be vulnerable, to ask the help, especially at those times, like you were saying, 3 AM, you don't know what to do and you so desperately need that help right then. How do we get to that space where we can ask?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that's a, probably a million-dollar question right now. <laughs> uh, um, Let's figure no, it out.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, we'll split it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's 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 a couple of things that I think are very powerful. And one of the things I don't think we're taught is actually to ask for help as far as a higher power or God, universe, spirit, you name, whatever word you want to put to it. Simply the fact that rather than getting caught in our reaction and caught in our head, i found it very powerful to start asking something bigger than myself just for support or help. Um, I believe everything in the universe is about support and challenge. So anytime we're facing a challenge, I believe there's already an equal support in place if we're willing to ask for it or to, to bring it forth. So... That's one of the places that I, I teach guys to start with is to go within and ask. And that's that intuition element. Um, so that's the first place. Secondly, what I, I, we, we talk about a lot and it does come into belief structures is asking whether or not that belief serves you. So when, you, when you're able to observe that you're going through that and maybe you, you start to go, oh, why don't I want to ask for help? You know, This is a situation where I could really use some help you become conscious that you're unconscious and then you go, oh, okay, well, it makes me feel uncomfortable to ask for help. And then you could ask, well, why is that? Does that serve, you know? And this is where I've been fascinated with learning about things like epigenetics or things as far as uh, how our beliefs are formed. And what I've come to know is that whether it's the ancient texts or whether it's science, they talk about the first seven years of a child's life uh, they are literally a sponge. You know, they, their subconscious mind is wide open, and our beliefs and perceptions are actually formed by watching our parents, caregivers, our teachers, our siblings, and that those first seven years we don't have a rational mind to um, to analyze those beliefs. We just take them as truth. Then, throughout the rest of our life, these these beliefs play out because they're subconscious. You know, consciously we could go oh man, I really need help right now. But subconsciously, there's an emotion or a feeling that says, oh, that's weakness. Like, don't do that. You're not a man if you do that. So there's this real disconnect. It's like this uh, dissonance between the conscious and the subconscious. And I think when people can see that as an opportunity, that's when they can go, oh, something's not right here. Like, you know, my beliefs aren't sort of, they're not helping me in life. And so if they're not, maybe I can take some time to contemplate reflect on them and then it does take conscious effort to make a different choice so it, it is work it's not as though it's just a flick of a switch but saying you know oh recognizing i need help is not a sign of weakness that's actually a sign of strength mm-hmm. you know smart people ask other people questions um i think they say what well, smart people learn from their mistakes geniuses learn from other people's mistakes um and so being willing to ask i think is yeah, if every guy that ever listened to this decided, you know what, I'm going to ask for help just a little bit more often, um, you know, I think we'd be in a better place.
0: Chris, is there a way that you found is most effective for people to ask for help? Is it as simple as just saying, I need help or a way to frame it that is more, I don't know if the, empowering is the right word, but more empowering or feels safer for guys that when they're, especially when they're learning to ask for help, it feels... It, it, it rolls off the tongue maybe a little bit easier for them. Yeah, I, I, I know personally,
1: one of the ones for me is looking to understand somebody else's experience. So, um, you know, just say a great example, we're talking off air about your personal training background. So, you know, I have some self-image issues around my weight or around my body, but I think, hey, I should be able to figure it out. You know, there's all this information on the internet, there's uh, all these you know good looking people there doing workout videos why am i not getting the results well i might call you jesse and run young hey man look i really need help with this i can't figure it out i'd, I'd encourage people to use the word like ask a question around your experience so mm. hey jesse like in your experience like what have you found with your clients you know and that can open it up then maybe in a softer way where you can say well you come back you give me some advice i'm like yeah, I'm actually really struggling in this area. I, I've been doing this and that, but I haven't been able to figure it out. So I think just finding somebody that you trust as far as having the result you want and then asking for their, their experience. Um, as you mentioned before, people are all too willing to ask once, you know, or, or to help once we actually ask. So that, that, that would be a suggestion.
0: That was what I was just going to ask too, as a follow-up is, do you find contextually it makes a difference? For example, that, they feel safer asking for help. If for some, if that person is wanting to lose weight, they see someone who has the body they want that person is wanting help with the business. They see somebody who has the results they want. They, so it gives them a, almost a contextual authority, if you will, that makes it safer to, for them to make that first ask.
1: I believe so. I think, I think it's human nature to want to see results, you know, before we take somebody's experience. Um, And that even comes back, though, I know when I look at things like looking at our parents, um, I know my in-laws and my parents have different views on the way that my wife and I live my life in certain areas, and I respect them, but I'm not going to go for them for advice in those areas because I don't actually think they have the results that I'm looking Hmm. to achieve. So I think it's very key to find somebody that has the results that you are looking for or that seems to have it together in those areas and then ask that individual.
0: Chris I want to back up just a little bit. So you talked about the first 7 years being so critical in formation of belief systems and that kids are like a sponge soaking everything up. When I think of men, I think so much of how we have this notion almost that we need to have this you know a lot of times we 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 score things in win or loss with sports, right? There's a very clear win or loss. Yes. And when we start to negotiate belief systems is it, is it possible? I guess the question is, is it possible to fully wring out that sponge where we are feeling like there's this satisfaction in it? Because what I find with people is, is sometimes that they may think they've done the work, but they've squeezed out the first round of stuff. And there might be more. And I, you know, for guys, I think that sometimes that can be a almost de- defeating where they feel like, well, wait, I thought I was winning, but all of a sudden these guys pulled a- it, sponge pulled a trick play on me and now I actually lost. Yeah. So is there, is there a, a clear path, I guess, almost to-, to victory with working through what we've sponged up earlier on? It,
1: you said it very well. Like these, I think these, as I would call them a deep neural net, uh, they they go very deep. So we can work on them. Ultimately, I think there's always going to be an element of them there. It's like an onion. There are definitely layers to do this. And a big shift is going from that fixed mindset to a growth mindset. And I'll tell you, that's still a journey for me. You know, um, yeah, as you said, scoring things, win or loss, uh, you know, win or failure. Um, but my, yeah, my excuse me, uh, my mentor and partner in this, Jason, he, he speaks about life being experiments in consciousness. And so if you think about an experiment in a science lab, you, don't, you never judge an experiment as a win or a failure. You're looking for the experience and you're looking to understand what happened there, you know, and then you reiterate it. And so if something's not working, you try something else. And um, the concept I've been looking at a lot lately, Jesse, is the Thomas Edison, you know, the 10,000 ways with a light bulb. And, you know, he didn't find 10,000 ways that failed. He found 10,000 ways that didn't work, right? And and so I think if we can start to shift our mindset around the rules in life, like if we're playing by the wrong set of rules, we're playing the game of life by the wrong set of rules, we're always going to be stuck in self-judgment, self-loathing, those sort of emotions. Uh, so, you know, it does take a lot of work with the to, to reprogram the subconscious. And one of the most effective tools I've actually found for that is meditation. Hmm. Uh, I find the ability over time to quieten the mind pre- creates what we call in the course the gap. And that's the gap between uh, stimulus and reaction. And so, if we can start to widen this gap, so we're not just reacting uh, like in that animalistic uh, instinct, which is what our subconscious programming would have us do, we can start to make a different choice in that moment. And we talk about making choices that maybe have a higher return on energy. So there's no bad choices in life. There's just appropriate returns on energy for the choice you make. And so that's where, like my personal belief is all of that programming in the first seven years, it isn't good, it isn't bad. It just is. It's actually neutral. It's our perceptions we put on it. And it's all opportunities for us to heal. And that's what I believe the rest of our life is about using those experiences, not holding on to them, not blaming our parents. It's about saying, you know what, our parents did the best they could based on their upbringing, their education, their environment. And, you know, a question I start to pose to people is what if we chose our parents before we came down here as babies? You know, what if we chose them because we needed those experiences to grow on this journey? And does that reframe some blame? And I know me personally, that's a process, Jesse. I still, um, there's areas in my life, like it's not all areas, but there's certain areas where I was like, oh, my mom was really strict. And I carried that for a long time. And then I realized, oh, but if she wasn't, and even if she was, my life today is amazing. So I should be blessing her for that. How, whatever she did, I should bless it, you know. And if we can get to that point in our lives where we bless our past, I totally believe that we're able to fully enjoy the present.
0: Chris, when you teach that to people about what if we chose our parents, I'm curious how do they receive it? Because I'm I'm of the same where I think you're coming from too. Uh, when I when I'm when I'm in my most pretending that I'm so woke and evolves place. I can say, oh yeah, I, like I, I I chose my parents, and I have so much gratitude for it. Except, except sometimes when I'm having conversations with my mom, and she will push back on life not being perfect, or you know maybe she should have done this better, maybe she should have done that better, and I will hear that voice, and it's not even my voice now. It is literally this little kid voice of. You know, and I, I and I feel that start to almost break down. But then when I separate from it and I have that pause, I really can have, and I, I do exist and live so much with so much gratitude for everything that happened through childhood, how my parents raised me, whatever dysfunction there was, I know I was loved. And, but it's a journey to get there. So I, I'm really curious, like when you introduce that as a concept for for men, how how do they how do they typically receive that?
1: It's a pretty big concept, right? And I usually we usually pose it a little bit more as a question. And you know, I'm not going to tell people whether they should believe it or not. But if you just start to contemplate these questions, I think your own answers show up. Mm. Um, I think it's a nearly a little bit of a framework, Jesse. That. If you're able to accept that maybe we did choose our parents, um, it starts to breed compassion and gratitude. And as you said, it's a journey. Uh, I know personally, for me, um, yeah, I I have a tendency to want to try and help people or to, um, you know, to try and pull them out of maybe their negativity. Uh, I'm blessed. My dad was a super positive guy. My mum, she's not super negative. But what I realised is, and this is a bit of an aside, but most mothers. Um literally, their physiology is uh it goes into a little bit of fight or flight once they've had the baby, mm. and you know, so I think every first time mother is going to have a certain level of anxiety and fear because you're literally trying to keep this little human alive um you know, and then you're you you're worried about you know just survival stuff. and so what I've come to realize is... And this is not in all women, but the women that I've seen, um, a little bit of that fear and anxiety, that negativity just comes from wanting security and, and, and safety. Um, so I've had that juxtaposition of my dad being positive, mum being a little bit more on that side. And for years, I tried to get her to see the positives in life, and I, you know, I really made a point of trying to tell her, "Hey, mum, like being negative is not going to help. You know, like what you focus on expands." These sort of things. I've come to believe though now, it, my opportunity is just to love her for who she is, and I think the Buddhists talk about compassion being the path. So having love and empathy understanding the way my mum was raised, like if I look at my grandparents, I'm like, "Oh, also, yeah, my grandparents were like poor farmers." So of course my mum, that's her belief structure, and it's she's 65 now, like that's been ingrained over a lifetime. So Do I think my words of positivity are going to change that? No. But if I love her and create space for her, who she is, that's when I see those little openings and not for me to do anything, but for her to actually just grow and expand because I'm not trying to change her. I'm not judging her. I'm just allowing her to be.
0: Chris, what's, if I may, what's the most important lesson your daughter has taught you this far? Oh,
1: I think the most important lesson thus far would be to see life in the, through the eyes of innocence, like to see it for the beauty that it truly is. When I look at her, she, she's not worried about the visa statement. She's not worried about where food's coming from. She doesn't judge people like she's so present and in the moment and she just sees life for the brilliant adventure that it is and I truly believe that that level of trust is where we're all trying to heal to get back to that level of trust because then we truly can enjoy life and it's just amazing I can sit and watch her just play and imagine and create and love and I can see it and then hurt herself and or I can see it in pain and we talk about this in one of our courses, where our natural state is harmony, our natural state is coherence, and even though the child might hurt themselves, very quickly they'll cry, they'll scream, they'll yell, and then they're back to this heart-centered place. Whereas as adults, we can hold on to that for weeks, months, or years, and it actually sucks the life out of us. So that's my that, that's my number one, Jesse. A long way of saying just seeing her innocence and her trust for life. Um that inspires me to to trust and to be present and to live in the now
0: that's beautiful man that Pamela and I felt that one when you shared that. Thank you for sharing it and I find that and hearing you say that hearing you share that the thought that occurred to my mind is it's almost like you know, gosh, what would the world be like if we could all be, if we could all go back, you know, not to go back in terms of we go back and we can redo things, but we could go back with the same psychology as a child has, you know, specifically, and this isn't to dismiss or make small of the world. I think it's more of it or to the stuff that happens. It's not saying that, you know, things don't happen, but it's more of to the point of the holding on of it. When you were sharing that about your daughter, I remember very vividly, two of my closest friends when they had their first son, I think he's six or seven now, but he was about one and a half, two, maybe a little bit younger, but he was the very fearless boy. His dad was a handful when he was, he was young. So he was saying that he's, he's fully getting paid back now for his (laughs)
1: his
0: (laughs) ways. And he was, we were over at their house and he's on the chair, looks at his mom. His mom says, don't jump not fully appreciating gravity yet. And he literally looks her in the eye, smiles and swan dives off right onto the tile. And he's a tough kid already, but he starts to cry. And his mom goes over to him really quick. She looks at him in the eye and says, you're okay. You're okay. And just that little bit of reassurance within 10 seconds, he was okay. He was back to laughing. He was back up there five minutes later, giving his mom the same look, contemplating gravity. And I contrast that to how so many of us will, when we fall, when we take a leap and it doesn't work out. You ask me three years from now, what's going on? Why are things? And I'll say, well, it was because of three years ago that this happened. I mean, I was even in, I I heard it in my voice and I teach this and I heard it in my voice today. I was in a meeting and somebody was offering this, you know, teaching this one thing. And I heard myself say, Oh, well that doesn't work for me because I tried it four years ago and it didn't work. Yeah. Right. It's literally, I took the leap. I fell, I hit my head hard and I'm still not okay with it. But his rebound rate, your daughter's rebound rate is like that. And it's just like, gosh, what would it be like if we could all just reacquire the natural, like the naturalness we had when we were kids to just let stuff go.
1: Yeah. That's so powerful, Jesse. That would be, yeah, that would be another key that she's taught me. Like you said, when you watch a child learning to crawl or to walk, um, failure, failure isn't an option, right? Like they they're so determined, and it's just all part of the growing, you know. And that that truly it is the beauty of life, I think. And, uh, you know, you could equate it to a tree. And I think that's where, if we look at nature as well, like we can look at our natural states, but looking at nature, a, a tree grows and it might lose a limb, but it will continue to grow. Um, you know, whereas, as you said, as humans, we we really, yeah, we get caught up in our own, uh, yeah, just our own past. And mm. I think that's I, the opportunity I see with the next generation is to, Yeah, not teaching them what to think, but teaching them how to think. And, you know, I want to, those first seven years for me with my daughter is about, you know, programming her to understand she's limitless, you know, to understand that she can do whatever she wants to do. She can create that. Um, your example about jumping off, uh, uh, furniture, my daughter's the same. She's a little daredevil. And, uh, we've had some moments already. We haven't gone to hospital yet. So not touch wood, but, um, there's been a few close calls. And for me, it's funny the way that our language, um, really can mold our child's beliefs. So I noticed that in the beginning I would say, Hey, what's wrong? Like when she was a baby and crying, what's wrong? What, what's, what's wrong? And then it triggered for me like this moment of like, oh my God, my mum said that to me probably 50,000 times in the first seven years of life. And so how do you start to view the world if the repetition in your subconscious is what's wrong every time that you cry, you hurt yourself, you do whatever. So we started to reframe that. It's like, hey, what do you need right now? Like, what are you asking for? And even though they're a baby, people are like, well, babies don't understand. I'm like, no, they do. Like this is going in, right? So even that, it's like, if she gets emotional in the future, I hope she's going to say, oh, what do I need right now? Opposed to what's wrong with that emotion. Um, Or when she's on the couch and she wants to jump off, rather than saying, be careful, I'm like, hey, focus, be mindful. Um, Mm. You know, so it's it's becoming more conscious of our language and the words we use. And we can do that for ourselves. I'm sure you help your clients with that. You know, if you see somebody that is using self-defeating language, I'm sure you're able to help them start to, to make healthier choices and be more conscious around that their words are creative and powerful. And um, like you just said before, you know, that little voice that came up five, oh, did that four years ago. Well, that's totally the voice of the little kid, right? Like it's, um, so we're all, we're all healing that wounded child. And that's a whole other topic that I'm, I, I don't feel that I'm totally uh, qualified to talk on, but it's, um, you know, I'm about trying to wound children less, I guess, in these initial years.
0: Chris, we only have time for one more question. This is going to that ish point I told you that is very yes. selfish, but wanting to be respectful of everybody's time. Where do you see so dads do their work? They 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 embrace the notion that they can change their belief systems, they rewire how they've been taught of what it means to not only just be a dad, but also I guess that would also be what it means to be a man a, a male figure how does how does that transform in your in your greatest vision for this how does that transform family dynamics and I'll I'll frame this with this in the US the statistics are widely you know you have a 50 plus percent divorce rate for first homes one of the things that's coming out of like the data points i'm starting to see coming out of like this covid time are instances and increased reports of abuse you know child neglect all these types of things and that's not to stereotype men or women or anything like that it is to say I just wonder, like for someone who's doing this kind of work with men what is the vision you hold for if they're willing to do this work if they're willing to evolve that what it means to be a man what it means to be a dad what's possible not just I guess the family but the community they're a greater community at large too
1: jesse the you you've said it it's it's not just the family It start you know gandhi said be the change you wish to see so all change starts within it then does ripple into the family it ripples into the community and to the planet but where this gets three-dimensional for me is it ripples through generations so by you doing the work to heal yourself now you're changing the legacy of your entire family you know, every child that is ever born, you know, downline from you is going to have the benefit of you stopping the recycled ignorance. Ignorance isn't a bad thing. It's just a lack of education, right? So my vision is this this transcends time. You know, I, I hope the work I'm doing now will be rippling through families hundreds of generations from now, even just subconsciously, you know, I'll be a memory, distant memory. And but it's it's hopefully this this sort of information lives on where... We start to, you know, empower our children for for generations. And I believe the world shifts then. If everybody starts to see the world as a way that they can create what they want, we, we start to live in a totally different society. So that's my vision, Jesse, is that, you know, one small step, even if you change one belief structure of your own right now and you pass on a healthier or a higher return on energy belief to your children, that that can ripple throughout time. So um i'm excited to see where it can go and i think there's never been a better time than right now for for men to take responsibility and like you said it doesn't just have to be dads like this is about reframing what it means to be a man and um i think the planet is in you know a great time for this transformation
0: everyone my goodness are we going to rewatch, watch re-listen and take notes whether you are a dad, an aspiring dad, or you know a dad or you know an aspiring dad, what Chris laid out for us today is so relevant and so unbelievably useful in what we in the dynamics that we exist in today. The very notion of redefining in some ways what it is to be a man or masculinity too. Let go of the, the idea of keeping score and having to play by the rules of a win-loss, but looking at instead as maybe we were just given the incorrect set of rules and here's some new ones, here's some new, a new game to play. Gosh, I love that. What a powerful new frame that is to look at. The idea that our belief systems aren't, aren't ingrained, that while we may have been sponge-like those first years up to seven, that there's still space to wring out the sponge and soak up something new, that we have a choice, that we have power in this to change the way we believe. And that belief change can really start in many ways with the most basic thing, to extend a hand and ask for help, to raise your hand and say, you know, I could use a little help with this and offering a safe, an, a safe approach to that, a first starting with a place where you know someone who has accomplished something or done something that you'd like to do, and reach out for them and just build up your if you will asking for help muscles. It is it is it is a, a skill set it is an art form and I think uh, I'll, I think Chris would probably agree with me with this is I will be well, I still struggle with it today and I think we all are always learning with it but just know that it's safe too to be able to hold that emotional space of a vulnerability and stand in that discomfort knowing that the discomfort is not there to hurt you but it's there to help you grow just the same as The resistance you feel when you do a push-up is going to help you get stronger. The resistance you may feel to being emotional and vulnerable is going to help you get stronger, closer, and more connected. Gosh, getting back to the innocence of a child, uh, what he shared about his daughter and the lesson she's taught him about seeing the world through more innocent eyes and the ability to let stuff go, that was one of the most beautiful things I've heard of recent, and it's just... You know, what a consideration to have for ourselves, along with the consideration of maybe we chose our parents. That might be too big for some of us to go there, but we can all go back to the idea of, gosh, what would it look like if we looked through the world through our own eyes as a child, especially if we were willing to release the things that bothered us or hurt us or harmed us like we did when we were kids. And last but not least, of course, if you're whether you're a dad, you want to be a dad, you know someone who's a dad, or know someone who wants to be a dad, remember that this work doesn't just stop with the individual. It positively impacts the family, the greater community, and it's, it's ripples that can be generational. and can carry on for many generations to come. Chris, this has been absolutely incredible, man. What a blessing you're sharing with us has been today. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Jesse. Honestly, the blessings are mine. And uh, yeah, thanks, thanks once again.
0: Absolutely. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you are finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to.